Time now for Rocky Jordan. Not far from the Mosque Sultan Hassan in Cairo stands the Cafe Tambourine, run by Rocky Jordan. The Cafe Tambourine, crowded with forgotten men, alive with the babble of many languages. For this is Cairo, where modern adventure and intrigue unfold against a backdrop of antiquity. Tonight's story, The Two O'Clock Men. It was around five minutes till two o'clock in the morning. I was in bed trying to catch up on some sleep when I heard noises out front. I rolled over, ready to forget the whole thing, when the sound became too loud and too familiar. I slipped on a pair of trousers and headed for the bar. It was dark, but not empty. Somebody was playing Halloween out of season. From somewhere behind the bar, I could hear his breathing as he scratched around in my register. I moved around the end of the bar toward the short, panting breaths. Then he saw me and made a dart. Don't go in no place, buddy. Let me go. Let me go. Sure, buddy. You're going. Ow. I hit him and he crumbled like arches on a fat man. I flipped on the light to see what he looked like. He was small and wiry. He wasn't Egyptian or Arab or European, but he seemed like a mixture of all. He coughed a couple <laughs> of times and then sat up. His big black eyes stared angrily at me and I could see that he was very young. You are pig. Infidel. All right, Sonny. Sorry I hit you. Come on, up on your feet. Let me go. I can get up myself. Come on, kid. What's your name? What are you doing here? My name is Joseph. And it is obvious what I do here. Yeah, I guess it is. But you're not very smart about it. People don't leave money in their cash registers at night. Remember, friends, to make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. There's lots of cooling, real mint flavor in every stick. And chewing Wrigley's Spearmint helps keep you feeling fresh and alert. You feel better, work better, get more fun out of doing things. So indoors, outdoors, wherever you go, keep some healthful, refreshing Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. To make every day more enjoyable, Treat yourself often to delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum hope you've enjoyed tonight's story and that you're enjoying Wrigley's Spearmint Gum every day. We invite you to join us next week at this time when Detective Danny Clover returns again with Broadway's My Beat. Broadway's My Beat, brought to you by Wrigley's Spearmint Gum, is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with music composed and conducted by Alexander Courage. The program is written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin and stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia. Included in tonight's cast were Irene Tedrow, Joyce McCluskey, Jack Crucian, Earl Ross, Jack Edwards, and Tom Holland. Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
high beat from Times Square to Columbus Circle, the gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, the thrilling drama of murder and mystery and the people who walk the great white way with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. covers the sun, hangs a veil over Broadway. And for a time, Broadway is dimly seen, dimly heard. For an instant, Broadway is stunned. But then it recovers. It leaps to embrace the false night. The neon flares, the spectaculars explode. The banners are hung. Welcome, night. And for the time of the mist, it's good on Broadway. But then the sun breaks through again and spoils it, and the lights are turned off in sullenness, and backs are turned on the day. At police headquarters, you stand at a window and consider it. But you're interrupted. A man is dead in an apartment hotel, maybe two minutes from headquarters. Look into it, Danny. And you nod because you know that's the way it would come out. It takes two minutes. You know that because when you get out of the elevator, a man is standing there with a watch in his hand. Two minutes and 20 seconds. On the nose. Oh, I'll put my money on the nose of you boys from headquarters every time. Your death in a sprint. They told me a man was killed here. Yes, they told you true. Care for a look, see? Let's look, anyway. It's right down the hall in 4B. Come along, fellas. Here we are, fellas. What? Of course it is. I locked it. You took it on yourself to do that? Oh, naturally, I'm the manager. I do many things by night, by day. I perform... Oh, I like it when you make it seem I've done something criminal. I only locked the door to keep the stupors out. You know how they are, messing about, fingering clues, sticking their noses. Sean, you found him like this? Exactly. He hasn't moved an inch. Who was he? Uh, Mr. Frank Briscoe. Pleasant gentleman. Oh, always had a joke for me. <laughs> I remember. <laughs> Whenever you're through. Oh, oh, yes. Yes, he's been a tenant here for uh, oh, four or five months, I'd say. Tell me about it. When you heard the shot, what you did? Was oh, he alive? I, oh, I didn't. Didn't what? Oh, I didn't hear a shot. What attracted me was the smell of smoke. I rushed in. The wastebasket was on fire, and, and Mr. Briscoe... Wait a minute. Hello. What's that? Hey, hello. Oh, it's full in there. It's been doing that ever since. Uh, we see it was just dangling there. I, I wouldn't touch hello. it. Oh, no, not me. Hello. Hello? Frank, what's the idea of keeping me waiting? What happened? You told me to hang on. It's Eddie. You're not Frank. Who are you? The police. The police? What's happened? What's happened up there? You're talking to Mr. Briscoe? Yes. My name's Eddie Cutler. I called Frank for a golf day. He said, excuse me, there's someone at the door. Hang on, he said. Where are you now, Mr. Cutler? At my place of business on Wall Street. What happened? A murder. Stick around, Mr. Cutler. I want to talk to you. Well, what do you know about that? All the there time. There must be things for you to do, manager. Go do them. After that, it was a matter of getting out of the way while the boys with the dusting powder tried to raise fingerprints. And the boys with the cameras tried to get presentable photographs of a dead man. Known as routine, 
The impersonal broadings as to why time and circumstance conspired to make Frank Briscoe a victim of murder. My part of it was to get back to headquarters and make phone calls and have other people make phone calls and get out such and such file and finally come up with a starting point. Frank Briscoe was married, now separated from his wife, Sylvia. More phone calls and prodding. Sylvia managed an employment agency in the Empire State Building, an agency for executive placements only. I went there. Please sit down. Thank you. Ms. Briscoe. Look, if you like, relax. I'm from the police, Mrs. Briscoe. Oh? Name? Danny Clover. Well, let me understand you. If you're working now, why do you come to see me? Because of your husband. Why ruin a sunshiny day? Look at it out there. People drowning themselves in it. Your husband's dead. <laughs> Don't let me stop you. Have your reaction, and we'll talk. It's funny, you know. Things you leave behind you, forget about, and something happens. Comes back in a rush. Sunshine, sidewalks down there, the wonderful news you just brought me. I'm a little girl again, and I want to play hopscotch on the pavement. I'm happy for you, Miss Burke. Thank you. You see, Frank was such a nothing. Now that you understand... Not quite. A nothing, Mr. Clover, is a nothing. Zero in an empty box. Yet you married him. And stayed that way for three months. One morning, I stepped out of the house into the sunshine and liked that better. Why didn't you get a divorce? Frank wouldn't give me one. For five years now, our conversation runs like this. Me. Frank, I want a divorce. Frank, no. One thing I didn't tell you. Frank was murdered. I'm glad for him. He had a horror of just wasting away. He... I wonder if that changes anything. Like what? His insurance policy. A large one. A hundred thousand dollars. Oh, Frank was a tricky one. He tried to woo me back by having it made out in my name. <laughs> tricky, Frank. That's where the happiness comes, you know. Sure, of course. Frank's been dead nothing. I blow on my fingernails about that. But a hundred thousand dollars? Oh, Mr. Clover, that's really something. Really something. Her girlish ecstasy over the sunshine, the hundred thousand dollars, the dead husband, made it harder. Because it made me sick. Because it made me greedy to book her for murder. But the happy, happy widow had answers but held. She had seen Frank only rarely from the day she'd walked out on him. Her lawyers handled it with him. No, she hadn't left her office that morning. Her secretaries, her clients could verify if I didn't care to take her word. Then she began to tell me what she'd do with all that money. About the time she was a white queen in the African jungle, I walked out on her. Then the search for a kind word over a dead man. Maybe Eddie Cutler, the man on the phone, the man from Wall Street, had one. Maybe he'd look up from his ticker tape and give me one. Mr. Cutler? Uh, another moment, please. Hmm. <laughs> I wish I could let you in on this one. Now, if you retain me as your investment broker... Oh, Frank Bristol. Just one more minute. Hmm? I can't let this get away. My clients come first. Please, will you Put get me... Put that phone down. I say... Put it down. Your clients will have to do without you for an hour. Maybe longer. Maybe for days. Well, I was only... All right. Pete, I'll call you back as soon as I'm rid of... Yeah. Now, just what is it you wanted me? I told you. Oh? Oh, oh, yes. But Frank, 
Poor Frank. Now, who would have dreamed... Dreamed what, Mr. Cutler? Or is it plain that he'd be murdered? Die like that? You play golf with a man, you don't expect things like this to happen to him. Not to your golf buddies. How well did you know him? Mm, about that well. He'd call me, I'd call him, we'd arrange a little match for drinks. As a matter of fact, I was just calling him when... Oh, was it, was it you I talked to on the phone in Frank's apartment? Yeah. I thought your voice sounded familiar. You pardon me for saying so, but you have a very pleasant voice. Mrs. Prescott, do you know her? I never had the pleasure. Frank told me a lot about her lots of times. No, I never had the pleasure. <clears throat> Anything else? Yeah. The phone call you made to Briscoe. Tell me about that. Well, I already did when Tell you... Tell me again. Did you hear a shot after Briscoe asked you to hang on? A shot? No. I did hear a door open and uh, muffled voices, nothing intelligible. And then there was a funny kind of noise, a kind of a... a kind of a pop. Mm-hmm. After that, well, you know about after that. <clears throat> Anything else? Yeah. You. Are you glad Frank Briscoe's dead? Am I good? What a question. What a thing to say to a man. Just thought I'd ask. Try the ticker tape, Mr. Cutler. Maybe that'll console you. Uh, Danny? You may take three giant steps to Taglia. Come on in. I'm sorry, Danny, but I am not in the mood for levity today. We've got business to attend to. Uh, I apologize. Accepted. Thank you. Now, what can I do for you? Just sit there and admire the rapid manner in which New York's finest have come to your assistance. Mm, Why should I do that? Because I have in my hand a complete report of the dwellers who dwelt on the same floor of the apartment house in which Frank Briscoe was found deceased. I'm proud. Tell me about it. Roger. We'll go. There's not much to tell. But you'll tell me, huh? Only this, Danny. There were three other denizens of that floor. Mr. and Mrs. C.P. Meston, who are living there for nigh on to 13 years and who are no trouble at all. Mm-hmm. In fact, the manager was more than profuse in his plaudits of old C.P. He likes to play cribbage with them. Thank you. Who else? Then there's Mr. and Mrs. Milburn Jeffries, who live on a pension and a canasta board. Also, no trouble. Uh, happy Homer. Then there is a Miss Della Sloan. Spinster and a double solitaire fan. Oh, no, Danny, no. This Bella Sloan is a young lady of 27 with a now-and-then kind of police record. Now and then what? Mm, disturbing the peace, drunkenness. What was she doing in an apartment house like that? You know, that's what I can't figure. She checked in for one day, then checked out. Whimsical, huh? Where is this Della Sloan now? Oh, wait a minute. Now, here it is. At the tag end of my report. Central Park West, 2002. I answered all your questions, Danny. I did good, huh? Battaglia did real fine. He even supplied a good question. What made Della Sloan so whimsical? It was a question that begged an answer. I had to find out what it was. The address on Central Park West was a study in red brick respectability, overlooking the park, neat, scrubbed, and peaceful. A gray-haired man at the desk smiled and told me Miss Sloan lived on the third floor and said that was just to the left of the elevator, sir. It was all so peaceful that I hated to break it up. Well, a long way 
taking the bottles, so come on in. I'll show you there. Miss Sloan? Come on in, come on, come on. Very, very, very. Drinky! You want a little drinky, don't you? I'm from the police. Drinky? No? Oh, come on, mister. Come on. Listen, listen to me. Oh, it's dry. I like it when you hold me. Come on, dance with me. The radio and everything, come on. Now, look. I'm saying, by. Come on, move your feet. Come on, that's the river. That's Sloan. Tell her. She went limp in my arms and her head fell downward against my chest. Like a tired dancer when the night's dancing is through. But the bullet hole in her back gave the setting another texture. There was no tiredness in her face, only the expression that is suddenly and forever caught in an instant of time. Della Sloan was dead. Della Sloan had been murdered. once had a president who never voted in his life? That's right. He was Zachary Taylor, our 12th president. It seems that Taylor joined the Army when he was in his early 20s and stayed in the service until just before he was elected president. While he was a soldier, he was never qualified to vote since he was never stationed long enough in one place. And strange to say, he didn't even vote for himself in the election which made him president. But today, through absentee ballots, most of our military personnel are given the chance to vote because we, as a nation, have learned that the foundation of authority is in the full consent of the people. We now continue with Broadway's My Beat, written by Morton Fine and David Friedkin and starring Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Trade winds blow in from the Hudson, and summertime comes to Broadway. It's a season of rare enchantment. Then the palm trees sway in the corner lunchstand to the whir of the electric fan, and the gourmet nods with satisfaction over the exotic tidbits, the juice from the papaya, the coconut milk, the knish. And Broadway lulls in its island paradise to a native tune entitled Hoop de Doo, and occasionally glances at the newspapers from the mainland. Man murdered in an apartment house. What the beachcombers hadn't found out about yet was about me. Woman shot to death while dancing with policemen. I put Della Sloan on the couch, walked over to the window. There was no one on the fire escape. The shot had come from there, but the murderer had fled. Only the small hole in the window, the fragments of broken glass on the rug. I called headquarters, reported it, then I turned off the radio. Two minutes after that, the door opened. It was too soon. It couldn't have been the police. Oh, I'm sorry. It wasn't. I didn't know Della had a call. I'll go. No, don't go. Come in. Close the door. I'm not enough for Della, mister. Close the door. Sure Hey, what's the matter? I'm a policeman. Oh. Hey, look at Della with you out again. Who are you? 
I'm Della's roommate, Bad Jean Owen. Now, look at him. Della didn't come home last night, did she? So? Did she? No. I- I'm trying to tell you. I'm a hard... Why wasn't she home? Let's go to headquarters, Betty. Mister, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Yesterday afternoon, Della had a phone call, and she wasn't in, so I took it. I gave her number when she came in a few minutes later. That's all I know. What number? I guess it's still here on the pad. Yeah. Yeah, here. There it is. Thank you. Hey, you want some help with Della? I know what to do. Come on, sugar. Wake up. Betty. Hey, mister, you better give me a hand with the clothes, huh? She's dead, Betty. Murdered. Murdered? Hey, what is this? Hey, you got the wrong idea. I didn't know what... Petty's Pharmacy. Hmm? Petty's Pharmacy. Joseph Petty Pharmacy speaking. Your order, please. Where are you located, Mr. Petty? 1654 West 12. Right next to the mobile gas station. You can't miss it. And hurry down for the one-cent sale. This is the last day, you know. We're about to close. Many more... I'll do that, Mr. Petty. Start over. A boy, a young boy, was murdered last night. In case you don't remember, Mr. Jordan. And it seems pretty clear to me you are responsible. Hey, now, wait a minute. I will not wait for your lies and your feeble excuses. There is no alibi for murder. A boy was killed needlessly. And their blood is on your head. Hey, hold on there. I'll admit I feel at least partially responsible, and the whole thing was pretty unfortunate. Unfortunate? But... Oh, yes, unfortunate. That is your only answer. Where do you fit into this? Where I fit? Mr. Jordan, that boy, Joseph, was my brother. My half-brother. Oh, Sorry, Miss Renault. If you had not taken poor Joseph to jail, if you had what not... What if he hadn't broken into my cafe? Have you thought of that? I'll admit the boy was wrong. Joseph was not himself. He was not a bad boy. These, these past few months, we had grown so far apart. He, he behaved so strangely. Nevertheless, you are not vindicated in having him murdered. Joseph was not shot by the police. He was not shot by me. He was killed by a person or persons unknown in the official language of the police. And I suppose that makes it all very proper look, and usual. Look, look, both the police and I would like very much to know who killed Joseph. Captain Sabai will do everything he can to find the murderer. And you, Mr. Jordan, what about you? What are you doing? Well, I... Just as I thought, nothing. Except being sorry. Miss Renault, perhaps you have an idea who might have wanted to kill Joseph. No, I have no idea. Joseph and I were, were never that close. His father divorced my mother many years ago. Joseph's mother was an Egyptian noblewoman. For the past several years, I've been in France... Then I moved back to Cairo to take care of Joseph. Doesn't it seem strange to you that he'd turn to a robbery? That he'd break into my cafe at 2 o'clock in the morning? Of course it does. I told you it was not like him. I, I just cannot understand what made him do it. Uh, you're not much help. Then, then you are going to do something. You really are interested. I saw what I have to be, don't I? Oh, thank you, Rocky. Oh, I was lucky. It happened to me today. The same pattern. But Della, she, she shot Della to keep her quiet. Della would have kept quiet for me. You miserable, Mister Clover. Eddie shot that girl. I did not. You did. You did, and you know it. That's worse and worse. What about it, Miss Briscoe? Look at him. Just look. He went to pot after his first killer. It was you. You. It was me, Eddie. 
understand, Mr. Clover. I couldn't take a chance with that girl losing $100,000 because a girl like that is alive. Come on. Sylvia, they'll kill us. You made me do it. You know you made me do Put it. Put out your hands, Eddie. Look, we, we, we didn't have to kill poor Frank. You made me. I, I didn't want to do it. First uh-huh. one. Listen, Mr. Clover, listen to me. It was her. It was her all the time. It was her fault. Shut I... up, Eddie. You're really nothing. Zero in an empty box. Nothing. <laughs> Danny Clover returns again with Broadway's My Beat. It's produced and directed by Elliot Lewis with music composed and conducted by Alexander Curry. The program is written by Morton Fine and David Friedrich and stars Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover with Charles Calvert as Tartaglia. And included in tonight's cast were Mary Ship, Kathy Lewis, Jane Novello, Lou Krugman, Joe Forte, and Jack Cruz. come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service. Broadway's My Beat. From Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway, where night slips over the canyon streets like a black silk stocking splashed with spangles. 
Then it's a flashy showgirl on an after-theater date. But during the day, it wears a sleazy house dress, no makeup on its face, and stands on a street corner screaming. Day or night, it wears any face you're looking for, and it's my beat. The coolest place at police headquarters on a July afternoon is in the communications room, but it wasn't cool enough. Sergeant Tartaglia and I were taking turns standing under the fan. It was my turn. The sergeant walked over to a teletype machine, picked up the latest call sheet, came back. He was smiling. Hmm. Oh, this heat, Danny. Rough on the police, but fine for the law and order. Uh, the phone buzzer, Sergeant. Your number. Yeah. Sergeant Tartaglia. Yeah. Yeah, where? Yeah, got it. What time? 1.12 p.m.? Yeah, right away. What are you up, Sergeant? Ah, it was too good to last. 30 call. Homicide. Be with you in a second, Danny. Okay. Commissioner? Sergeant? However, you obviously refuse to cooperate. It is the desire of El Rakam and his followers that all matters be settled in peace. Violence is barbarian and uncivilized. Yet you force me to act... When, when Elder Rakam acts, the world can feel the repercussions. You're a pretty big man, Rakam, according to you. Far too big to waste your time talking to mere peasants like Rocky Jordan. Mr. Jordan, I hold you responsible for the death of a member of my family. There is no greater crime, and the punishment is quick and certain. Eat well my words. Okay, Rakam, take your words and get out. You're disturbing my customers. As I am Rakam... Leader and omnipotent head of the sacred family. As I am this and more, so shall you, Mr. Jordan. So shall you die to avenge the death of Joseph. You are listening to The Two O'Clock Man. Tonight's adventure with... Rocky Jordan. If you like radio mystery, thrilling stories, exciting characters, and the kind of suspense that keeps you absorbed until the final gripping moment, you'll want to spend your radio listening time with CBS. Because at the CBS spot on your dial, you'll find that kind of mystery. Now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, the two o'clock man. It all began when somebody shot down a kid who I had turned over to the police for breaking into my cafe tambourine. Then a couple of people showed saying I was responsible. Shelley, Mr. Clover. Shelley's a comic. He makes jokes. Shelley Sheldon, I, I've seen you. Oh, you've lived. You don't have to talk to policemen if you don't want to, Ruth. I know a lawyer who says it's all right not to talk to a policeman. You take advice from this comedian, Mrs. Houston? What do you want to know? Georgie was telling me about Otto, the acrobat. He said you could tell me more. Sure, I can tell you a lot. One, he's a beautiful man. Two, he made passes at me. Three... I loathe. Does that cover it, Mr. Clover? Maybe. Why are you at the theater today? I come down every day. I love vaudeville. 
Maybe it's because I make you laugh, huh, Ruthie? Girl needs a man who makes her laugh. And I'm the best. How did you feel about Otto, Mr. Sheldon? Shelly. Call me Shelly. Murder makes us all friends, doesn't it, Danny boy? Let's keep it formal. My suspects usually call me lieutenant. Ah. Well, lieutenant, I'll tell you about Otto. I hated his guts. He was egotistical, vain, selfish, arrogant, snobbish. He loved himself. No, another kind of a guy, I mean. It went like that. Vaudeville actors are just like any other people. They're scared. They're cooperative. They're uncooperative. Depending upon their attitude toward policemen and their own conscience. The agile little dancer named Lee Emery was different. I interviewed him in his dressing room. It was like no interview I ever had before. Lee Emery danced to it. Kind of weird, soft-shoe ballet to the music of a battered phonograph. It was as if he were a grotesque puppet on strings. And the strings were dangled from some place of strangeness in his brain. I had to blink. Is it bothering you? My dancing, Lieutenant Clover? Clover. Clover. Thanks. That's interesting music you're dancing to. Interesting? Is it? That's interesting. Why is it interesting, Lieutenant? The music you danced to on stage earlier. Oh, I'm pleased. It struck you. You remember me as an artist. And it was played in a different tempo. Faster. And now it's a blues. Hey, watch. End of show, Lieutenant. Yeah, you're a fine dancer, Emery. Oh. Tell me, why the different tempos to your music? Doesn't it throw your performance off? Ah, not at all. You see, I had a half a dozen records made of this music. All different rhythms. Mm. All different moods. Before each performance, I practice the one I shall do. Depends on my feeling at that moment. Oh, you don't feel good now, huh? Oh, Lieutenant, I'm in love with the world. Last night, I took a walk in the Bowery. I talked with the poor, sodden fragments of humanity who people it. Now I am disenchanted. Next performance, my dancing will be a mirror of that feeling. Oh, so the orchestra conductor will play your music as blues. Uh-huh. Must be a pleasure for him to work with someone as creative as you. Thank you. Dancing Lieutenant Plover is, is an ultimate within itself. The antics, the grotesqueries of humankind distilled into classic, flawless expression. Hey, now you say something philosophical, Lieutenant. Yeah, try this. Did you have any reason to kill that acrobat? But of course. As a performer, he was a bum. I wished him dead. From a purely artistic standpoint, of course. But you know what, Lieutenant? Tell me. I didn't kill him. I am a coward. You have music for that, too? But of course. Would you care to hear it? <laughs> I didn't care to. Emery looked at me sadly, bowed, and I made an exit. The next morning at headquarters, the reports came in. Ballistics said the bullet had been fired through a silencer on a 38 frame. Had entered the acrobat's shoulders with a downward passage. The shot had come from backstage, from somewhere high in the wings, where peeling sets of scenery hung. Coroner's report, death was instantaneous. The solution of murder almost never is. I thumbed Star Sergeant Tartaglia out of the way and took my turn under the fan. That murder at the theater, Danny. A toughie, huh? Yeah, I don't know. It's too early to tell. Suspects? Any of them? Goes like this, Sergeant. 
House manager Georgie Houston hated the acrobat because the acrobat made grand passes at his life, Ruth. Oh, jealousy's a good, sound, substantial motive, I always say. Yeah, I always say it's a 100% motive. The modest comic, Shelley Sheldon, he likes Ruth, too. Another 100% motive. Lieutenant Clover speaking. Lieutenant, I told you. I told you. Who is this? Lee Emery. I told you I was a coward, Lieutenant. So? A man. He was standing across the street for the last hour. What man? What are you talking oh, listen, about? Listen, listen to me. I don't know what man. He was watching the window of my room, and just a minute ago, he walked into this hotel. Lieutenant. Yeah, yeah, I'm listening. Lieutenant, there's someone opening the door. He... Lieutenant! Emery! Emery! <laughs> It didn't need a cop's mind to put that shot and Emery's scream together. I thumbed through my notebook and got Emery's address. By the time I was downstairs, a squad car was waiting, its motor running. The siren channeled the street between headquarters and West 56. It took four minutes to get there. Emery's room was three flights up and walked back. The room was empty. No Lee Emery, nothing. Correction. The room was filled with Emery's music coming from the phonograph. That, and a narrow streak of blood that wormed on the threadbare grass rug. But most of all, it was Emery's music. It was happy, real happy. I couldn't stand it. The room needed another quality. The quality that came after terror. A sigh, maybe, or silence. And I had the feeling Lee Emery had just bought himself a large piece of that. You are listening to Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Perhaps you're one of those individuals who doesn't like to do things alone. You just can't get with it for some reason or other. You say you'd like to take a language course of some kind but you feel that you might not keep up with the lessons if left on your own. Well, sir, USAFI, the United States Armed Forces Institute, has just the thing for you. Group study. USAFI group study courses are those in which USAFI materials are used and which are taught by service-procured instructors. It is regular classroom procedure, and if that's what you feel will help you most, join a group study class in the subject of your choice. Your education officer can plan a class and advise you as to enrollment. Look into it and develop your own power through knowledge with Yusafi. Broadway is a place that can get happy about a lot of things. A cat in a tree, a wrestler with curls who scents the ring with perfume, even by a swami who predicts the world is coming to an end by high noon tomorrow. Right now, the current happiness was touched off by a rumor that Budville was coming back. But I had proof positive that it was dying all over again. Item, a dead acrobat shot while opening the bill at the Dodge Theater. Item, a terrified hoofer named Lee Emery who left only an afterimage of blood and music. Item, I had work to do. Work was routine. I called headquarters, told them to send out a missing person call on Emery, told them where I was going and went. When I got backstage, the Dodge Theater was making ready to put on its false face for the first batch of customers. Ruth Houston was standing against a backdrop, considering the lighted end of a cigarette. When she saw me, she looked as if she could do without me. Oh, hello, Lieutenant. 
You want to see me? Does that make it any worse, Mrs. Houston? Frankly, Lieutenant, there comes a time in every woman's life when she doesn't feel like talking to the police. Now, now is the precise instant, huh? It's like this, Lieutenant. I, I'm being sad. I'm being sad about a lot of things. Each one takes time. Yeah. But I'm afraid I'll have to interrupt the emotion. What's making you sad, Mrs. Houston? This, this whole thing will just wreck him. This, this thing of Otto's murder. Wreck who? My husband, Georgie. He had a good thing here at the Dodge. He was just going good. You get sad about Otto? I can do that, too. Otto thought he could beckon to a woman by flexing a bicep. He needed talking to. He, he didn't need killing. Maybe making muscles wasn't the reason he was killed. It's your job to think like that, Lieutenant. Only this, Mrs. Houston. How buddy were you with Lee Emery? Him? Him. Lee Emery. What could Emery do for me, Dan? Is he around now? I haven't seen him. He hasn't shown up for the show. You don't know where he is. You took the words right out of my mouth. I wouldn't know where he is. I wouldn't want... Excuse me, Lieutenant. Sure. Hello? Hello? Yes? Yes, he's here. To you, Lieutenant, your office or whatever you call your office. Thanks. Clover speaking. Danny, Dr. Aglia. We got him, kid. We got Lee Emery. Yeah, where'd you find him? East River Docks. Anyhow, that's where we fished him out. He's newly dead, Danny. The wet gray heat had turned into a wet gray drizzle when I arrived at the East River Dock. Three hooded cops on horseback held back a crowd whose face looked like it had a veil drawn over it. And in between the foghorns and the boat whistles, you heard the soft whinny of a horse. You couldn't quite believe it. Then a splash of blue named Mugovan, Harbor Police, cut through the grayness. Him you had to believe. Okay, okay, stand back, stand back now. Come on, Danny, hold my hand. I'll get you through this barrier of curious onlookers. Thanks, Mugovan. All right, out of the way, out of the way now. Now, why don't you yokels get in out of the rain? Ain't you heard the song, It's Wet Outside? That's a great act, Mugovan. Add Danny, it builds from hatred to love. The surly sneers of the mob become smiles of pleasure when I'm through molding their emotions. Now, when you get a chance, mold me a ham sandwich, huh, Mugovan, on rye. Huh? You mean right now? No, not now. Now, just tell me about him. Well, it's like you see, Danny. First, they shot him in the face, twice, from up close, then they threw him in the river. How long did you say he was in the river? Uh, not long, Danny, just long enough to wash him clean. Yeah. Anything on him? Yeah, this wallet and these papers, social security card issued to Lee Emery. Mm. Maryland driver's license made out to Lee Emery. Description, as stated, adds up to Lee Emery. Except for complexion and color of eyes. That, naturally, we can't tell. And this initial ring with the initials L-E, that spells Lee Emery. Yeah, I've seen the ring. Do something for me, Mugovan. Sure. You still want that sandwich, Danny? Call headquarters for me. Have him pick up Georgie Houston, his wife, Ruth Houston. And a funny, funny boy named Shelley Sheldon. Sheldon? Well, he's very funny. I get a lot of my material from him. Have them meet me at the morgue. I want them to identify a body. This is a cold place you picked for me to play a matinee, Danny boy. How do I get yaks in the morgue? Oh, no, comedian. You work it out. You know, this whole reminds me of a theater I once played in Des Moines. Same type atmosphere, same type audience reaction. I was making with bombs and those hasties just lay there like, like these stiffs. Shut up, Shelly, shut up. Haven't you got any respect? What's the matter, Georgie? The silent dead make you nervous? No, Shelly, they bring me peace. That's why I give them respect. Oh, Danny, why did you bring us up here? I want you to identify a body that was washed up in the East River. Anybody we know? That's a good question. 
Here we are. Oh, the figure is familiar, but the face... What am I saying? What face? What do you say, Georgie? The suit. Yeah, I, I recognize the suit. It's exactly the same type suit Lee Emery wore every day of his life. Mm. He had them made in pairs. He always said if you found something that made you feel good, why change it? Is, uh, is that Lee Emery, then? Shelley, is this Lee Emery? Yeah, yeah. How do you know? The shoes. They're a dancer's shoes. Soft shoe type shoes. The kind of shoes a dancer like Lee Emery wears when he's doing soft shoe type. Why, yes. Yes, it is Joseph. And, Rocky, who is this man in the long robes? El Rakam. But here, it shows clearly the gun in Rakam's hand. No, William. Shows a man in a robe firing a gun. Another man is being shot, okay. But Rakam has his back turned. And the, there is nothing. Ilya, I think I've got a way to break, Rakam. Anyway, it's worth a try. Open in the name of the law. Rocky, it is the police. Shh, Joseph, this is Sergeant Greco. I know you're in there. Open or I shall fire through the door. You'll do it, too. Rocky, Rocky, the back door. If you do not open the door at once, I shall shoot away the lock. Do not be a fool, Jordan. Come peacefully. Rocky, the back door leads to an alley which will take you to the Sharia Shama. All right, Ilya. I'll see you later. Do not say that I have not warned you. <laughs> As Greco came through the door, I went out the window and down the alley fast. Greco yelled at me to halt, but I wasn't stopping for anything. I had a date for a showdown with a two o'clock man. You are listening to The Two O'Clock Man, tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan. The time has come for us to help the Red Cross. Great numbers of our people are suffering from the worst cold wave in 50 years, and the suffering doesn't end with the cold. You can help by contributing to the Red Cross today. Now we take you back to Cairo and tonight's adventure with Rocky Jordan, the two o'clock man. It was one o'clock when I wandered into El Rakam's temple, an hour before the big meeting, and the place was almost deserted. El Rakam's dressing room showed at the end of a dimly lit hall. I went inside and waited for him to put in an appearance. It came sooner than I expected. I hope you have good reason to delay the voyage of the Christina. What can we do for you, Lieutenant? Now just tell me where to find the girl that looks like this picture. Show it to him, Muggerman. Here she is, Captain. A princess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, she's here. She and her husband. A husband? Oh. Your face looks like it is perhaps not her husband. When did he get on board? Uh, it was very romantic. He boarded the Christina hours before we sailed, locked himself in the cabin, and waited for his young girl. Romantic, yeah? Yeah. Where's the cabin, Captain? I, I will show you. Just tell us. We want to meet them alone. It is down the end of this long passageway. The door on your left. Let's go, Mugovan. Danny Clover, Mrs. Houston. Open up. Open up. Get back. Get back. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like the little lady don't want to see us. Looks like I'll have to open the door from this side. 
I think now it's okay for us to enter, Danny. Yeah. I hurt her, Danny. Let me see. That's not too bad. Go get the captain. He'll know what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I wasn't wrong. Phonograph. Some records. All right, Emery. Come out. I know you're here. Hello, Lieutenant Clover. I was coming anyway. That music attracts me. I thought it would. You okay? Sure. I ducked into the washroom when you started shooting back. Bruce hurts, though, isn't she? Yeah. I'll take your gun. Here. You're clever, Lieutenant Clover. You're an artist. Only because you made a mistake. Play me my mistake. You shot that man's face away. At least more than just that trickle of blood you arranged in your room. But you know about things like that, Emery. Who was he? He was nothing. An absolute nothing. A zero. An empty circle. I knew you'd figure it that way. You told me you walked the Bowery for art. You walked it to find a derelict who was the same size, the same build as you. That was his only use, you figured. So you used it. <laughs> you killed him. You thought I believed you were dead. That leaves Otto the acrobat. Why should I have killed a useful man like Otto? Ruth being here tells me that, Emery. Otto likes her, too. Competition from a man like Otto frightens two lovers like you. So you killed him. But of course. Well, I said you were an artist. Now, if you'll pardon me, Lieutenant Clover. I didn't stop him. It needed a touch like that. Emery's dancing to a dirge. This time he danced as if the puppet strings from his brain had been cut away and the madness was complete. When Mugovan came back with the captain, they stopped in the splintered doorway and stood there. Just stood there. But in a little while, the dance was over. There's no fury on Broadway now. It's dawn. And the angry avenues of the night are still. But in a few hours, it'll renew itself. The bang and the clatter and the rack and roar and the voice. Because it's Broadway. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway. My beat. Broadway's My Beat with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover is produced and directed by Gordon T. Hughes with script by Morton Fine and David Friedkin. Musical direction is by Lud Gluskin. United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Arthur Godfrey, who usually comes around with his talent scouts at this time on Monday, has just about finished his summer holiday. Godfrey will be back with us one week from tonight on August 28th. Broadway's My Beat, from Times Square to Columbus Circle. The gaudiest, the most violent, the lonesomest mile in the world. Broadway's My Beat, with Larry Thor as Detective Danny Clover. Broadway, it's the place you drift to because the other promises you made to yourself never happened. You leave your life behind and stand on a street corner beating down the scream in your throat. It's the best of the thousand and one nights you dreamed of. The one place in the world where something happens to you outside of the movies. It always happens. Something starts it, the tap on the shoulder, the laughter that floats down to your end of the bar, the smile, the special delivery, the phone call. Your phone's ringing, Danny. Oh, thanks, Gino. Danny Clover speaking. You gotta help. You gotta come here. You gotta come to my home. Who is this? Mrs. Corey. Please, please, my husband. What is it, Miss Corey? A suicide pact. He's trying to make me... He's trying to force Protect me to kill myself. Yeah, I don't want to die. He's gonna make me... <gasps> Hello. 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 Who is this? What happened? Mr. Corey. I've just killed my wife. Now it's the time for my dying. Listen, don't be a fool. Hello. Hello. Tartaglia. Oh, wait a minute, Danny. What did you say, operator? Oh. Uh-huh. Oh. Yeah. Party hung up too soon. Couldn't trace it, Danny. It began that way, with a desperate protest against private agonies. The protest that can't face the loneliness of death and must kill the loved ones so that the path into darkness will not be walked alone. The man, Corey, murdered his wife and then himself. And a glittering, blood-spangled shriek for attention, final identity set into motion only an old, a familiar routine. The official collecting of the dead. But first we had to find them. Detective Muggerman brought in the phone book. We sat over it.